Welcome to the teaching podcast for Eubank Baptist Church. We are all about knowing more about Jesus and inviting others to do the same. We would love for you to join us on our campus on Sunday mornings at 8.30 or 10.45 and Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. This podcast is a place that you can listen to any teachings that you might have missed from our Sunday morning worship experiences. To stay connected, you can check out our website at www.eubankbaptist.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Eubank Baptist Church and Instagram at eubank underscore bc. Thank you for being a part of the conversation and let's keep pursuing Jesus together. So we come into the Christmas season. There may be a debate uh, that may be raging in your own household uh, right now. And that is, do we get a real tree or a fake tree? So I'm going to take an informal poll here this morning. If you cannot celebrate Christmas without a real tree, raise your hand. I'll pray for y'all. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> Brittany and I have done the uh, whole real tree thing, and I'm very happy to report we now have an awesome imitation tree, uh, and uh, it is great because there's no watering, there's no picking up pine needles, there's no lingering uh, pine smell for the next eight months uh, that happens, and so uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. There are some that they love the real tree, but can can I ask a question? What drives this? imitation tree well it's people that were kind of liked it they liked the ease of the imitation tree right they liked how convenient it was because oftentimes they come with their lights pre-assembled and uh you know now they've got them you don't even have to string them up and plug them in anymore they're just like somehow magnetic i don't i don't even know how they work but it's their devotedness to it Today we're beginning our Christmas series where we are going to walk through the four Gospels view of uh, Christmas. And and so uh, we're going to begin today with uh, probably the oddest Christmas story, uh, the book that doesn't mention Christmas at all. And and so we're going to draw from Christmas from the book of Mark today, uh, and we're going to see that At one point, uh, there was an imitation. This took place after the death of Jesus, where there was a group of people known as Johnites that were insistent that John was the Messiah, that he was the one who came, that John the Baptist was the one who came. And today we're going to study who the real Messiah was. If you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Mark, chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Mark, chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. If you have found it and you're able to this morning, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Mark chapter 1, verse 1. God's Word says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. 
Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, whose strap of the sandal I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you, Father, for this passage of Scripture. God, I pray that today, God, you would take me, hide me behind the cross. God, today I pray that, Father, what we are coming into, Lord, maybe we've come from a a rough week with family, God, whatever it may be, God, that for the next little bit, Lord, let our focus be upon you. God, would you help us to see Christmas? God, would you help us see hope in this passage of Scripture, Lord? And God, I pray that as we go uh, uh, into this scripture, that you would open our hearts and our minds to just hear from you today. Father, if there are those here, maybe they've never truly put their faith in Jesus today, would you just speak to them? Lord, today, would you just do the work that only you can do? And God, would you just move me out of the way? Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I ask this story oftentimes because, uh, or I ask this question oftentimes because it's a, it's a valid question. Do we worship the true biblical Jesus sometimes, or do we worship the image of Jesus that we have in our head? Do we worship the real biblical Jesus, or do we maybe worship the picture of Jesus that maybe hung in our den as we grew up and uh, we really don't know who it is? Dr. Tony Evans tells this story about one Christmas time, his wife wanted to wrap some boxes and use them for decorations. And so she took eight uh, boxes and she wrapped them up in the prettiest packaging, the greatest bows, the, the greatest decoration, took time and intricate care to make sure that everything on these boxes were perfect. And they were empty inside of them. They sat in front of the house and they were impeccably wrapped and everything. And you didn't have to worry if uh, porch pirates came and stole it or anything because, again, the box was empty. Uh, and he says this. He says, a lot of folks around here are well wrapped, but there's nothing going on inside. And I thought of how easy that is because as, so, sometimes we come in spiritually empty. We come in spiritually drained and we leave the same way. We, we put on a good facade, right? Nobody wants to come in and just be, hey, pastor, uh, my week was a mess. Let me tell you about my uncle, okay? Let's start with him. And, and nobody does that. People ask you, how was your week? What's the answer? Fine. Okay. It's good. We're well wrapped, but there's nothing on the inside. Last year, I did a series on gifts, and at Licking River, we had this tree, and we had presents uh, underneath the tree, and uh, my daughter, being the toddler that she is, decided those were her presents, and she was so excited. She'd keep trying to unwrap them, and she but they were empty boxes. There was nothing in them to fulfill her, and so the question is, are, are we chasing the real thing? Are we chasing empty boxes? Are we chasing imitations? And that's what I hope to, for us to look at this morning. As we begin in Mark, he says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
You see, we have the benefit of knowing history, right? We have the benefit of being able to look back what were the context that the book of Mark was even written in. And so we have the, the it was during the rule of uh, Siberia, uh, Tiberius Caesar uh, in which the Lord was crucified under. And he would reign until uh, he would die and Gladius would become Caesar. Now, Gladius was like the kid who got promoted to hall monitor in middle school. He had this power trip that kind of happened, and he was a great ruler. People really respected him, but he had this problem with authority and power. He wanted more of it. And he would eventually uh, drive it to the point where his own wife would poison him just so his son, Nero, would take over as Caesar. Now, Nero was a whole new wave of cruelty and power-hungriness. Caesar, uh, Nero would come in as Caesar and want extravagant things. He would spend extravagant money and in, in, in everything and to the point where, I mean, they were broke. And, see, and Nero got in his mind that he would like a bigger palace. He deserved, he was a great Caesar. He deserved a bigger palace. And so he would go and he would bet, plead his case. And well, it, his treasurers would be like, Nero, we'd love to give you the palace, but you're broke. You have no money to build this palace. And so Nero allegedly, allegedly, kind of gets a little temper tantrum going on and just burns Rome to the ground. Just burns the whole city to the ground. Well, as you can imagine, when an entire city uh, such as Rome gets burned to the ground, somebody has to be blamed for it. Well, when things began to, to be pointed at Nero, Nero did what was probably a good idea. He said, no, no, why would you point it at me? There's this radical sect that's been eating people and drowning people in the Jordan River. Them Christians, it's them. They're the evil ones. They have declared publicly they hate the Caesarship by, by refusing to acknowledge Caesar as Lord. Well, sadly, this tactic worked. And Christians became some of the most hated, persecuted people in the world. It is at this time, during this persecution of Nero, that John Mark sits down and gives us the gospel of Mark. This book that is uh, meant to serve as a hope. And Mark begins, I think, in a great way. He makes two bold assumptions that come out of this time of persecution, that come out of this time uh, 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 of, uh, uh, of uh, unrest. He says, Jesus was the Christ. And he said, Jesus was the Son of God. These two radical statements begin the book of Mark. So we look at the Christmas stories. Matthew takes us back to the days of Abraham and walks us through 42 generations of people until we get the birth of baby Jesus. Kind of like those stories your grandfather tells you sometimes. Luke takes us back to the barren old woman proclaiming that there would be a birth of a proclaimer of John the Baptist. And uh, it was Luke's gospel that gives us a glimpse into the relationship of Jesus and John. In fact, when Mary comes, still impregnant, and visits the still pregnant Elizabeth, they said that the, the heralding, when, when Elizabeth said, hey, to Mary, the, her womb leaped with joy because John acknowledged who was in the room with him. John takes us all the way back to the beginning. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And we finally have here in Mark, which is perhaps the most unconventional Christmas story, because he doesn't mention Christmas once, that he takes us back to the Old Testament. 
He takes us back to the prophecies. And he says, in the beginning, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the gospel, the evangelion, the good news. He lays out the good news in verse 2. It is written by Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. A voice of one who's crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Mark quotes two places here. He quotes Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3. And in both of these passages are Old Testament passages leading toward one who will come forth and proclaim that there is someone coming. And Mark doesn't wait long. He tells us who this is in verse 4. And John the Baptist appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John comes and he is proclaiming people. He's calling people to this baptism, to this repentance. He's called John the Baptist. Now, he's not Baptist because he was the first Southern Baptist. He was called Baptist because of the way in which he baptized people by immersion. As he comes in here, he says he's proclaiming. In fact, the Greek word here is kairisun, and it means to, uh, it, it kind of is in this way. If you remember, uh, there were people who were charged into going into towns beforehand and proclaiming that their Lord uh, was, was coming. And, you know, the, the guys who show up with the trumpets are like, now announcing, or whatever his name is. And he, this is the kind of person, this is the kairisun. John was the Kyrie. I wish, I wish the Bible would tell us he had little trumpets with red flags on him, but he was the proclaimer. He was the one who was coming before. John was sent as a proclaimer that something was coming. He says here in verse 5, all of the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were coming to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. This is what's so interesting. The Bible tells us that there's people flocking to John the Baptist. Why? Because much like Jesus, when Jesus begins to ascend Mount Bethany and begin the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to, to, to begin by this blessed, or is he blessed, blessed, blessed. John was preaching a repentance through baptism. This was radically different than what the law taught. This was radically different than what they were challenged to believe. And so people were flocking to hear who this was. But there's another reason. Look here in verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, whose strap of sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and eat. You see, John wasn't preaching a, a Jewish teaching. The people that were hearing it were probably blown away by this idea, excuse me, this idea that there was any kind of repentance through uh, his baptism. He says, but he, he ends this in, in just a minute. I'm going to say, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John even admits there's something better that's coming. But what I want us to see here is the Jewish people did not miss this. How John looked. You see, John was dressed in camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and, and wild honey. Now, for us, when we get out of here today, and we're going down to Casa Grande in Somerset, maybe, and as we're pulling in there, and there's a guy, as we get out of the car, dressed in camel hair with a leather belt, eating locusts and wild honey, proclaiming to you that you need to turn or burn, let me tell you what you're going to think. This guy is nuts. This guy is off his rocker. But to the Jewish people, they did not miss this. This reminded them of Elijah. 
This reminded them of a prophet. This was the garb of a prophet. They did not miss this. He was dressed as a prophet. They knew that he had something to say. He was obviously appointed. Otherwise, who on earth would wear camel hair and eat locusts and wild honey? He was a prophet. And he comes in here and he's preaching this thing that sounds so incredibly. But he says, there is one coming who is greater than I. Here is one coming who is greater than I. Deny. He says, in fact, he says he will baptize you with his Holy Spirit. In fact, the Greek word there is, is hakionumatai. And it's an interesting word because uh, it kind of means if you... Uh if you've done any kind of uh, metal working or anything, and you have this piece of metal that has impurities, and you begin to heat it up, and you just begin to beat the snot out of it until those impurities begin to work its way out of it, this is exactly what this Greek word describes. He says, eventually, the Holy Spirit will do this. Can I tell you that's what happens? Man, when we're saved, we are impure, we are, we are sinful people, and what happens is this sanctification as Jesus heats us up, he begins to beat that metal and things, impurities just begin to leave our lives. This is what he talks about. He says this refining spirit. First thing I need us to see this morning is because of this, is that only the true king can forgive sins. You see, John even admits that he is not the one. He's saying there is one coming who is greater than me. And in fact, when we get into this, in those days, in verse 8, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Man, what a wonderful uh, thing here because he comes out of Galilee and John comes face to face with Jesus. And in fact, Matthew 3 gives us a little bit more uh, uh, textual uh, clarity on this. As he comes face to face with Jesus, Jesus says, I need you to baptize me. John says, whoa, hold up. You need to baptize me. I'm not worthy. I am not. No, you need to be the one baptizing me. But John understood the one who is coming, whose sandal strap I am not even willing to fasten. Now, I know culturally we lose this, right? Culturally, we lose this. But in a noble's house, there was a job that was to take care of your noble's feet. You were to strap the sandals. You were to clean the feet. You were to make sure that his shoes were in tip-top shape, okay? This was not a good job. This was, this was not the job everybody flocked to do. In fact, this is what we would consider today to be the job that we would give the scourge of society just to give them something to do. Kind of the equivalent of a dog pooper scooper now. I don't know. That's a terrible illustration, but that's kind of what it was. Nobody flocked to that job. Listen, you think your job stunk? I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, John says, I'm not even worthy enough to do that. John says, I'm not even worthy enough to do that for this man. Man, how, is, how great is this man that John is not even willing or worthy enough to do what is the most basic uh, groveling job that a person could have. He comes, he calls this, as he says he's not worthy, it's a call back. There's one coming who is greater than I. It's a call back for when God said he will send his herald, he will send his proclaimer, that there's one coming who is greater than I. This is who John the Baptist encounters. This is who John the Baptist baptizes. In fact, when we see this in verse 10, and when he came out of the water immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open and a spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Man, what an awesome thing to witness. I, I just can't imagine. As you know, as Jesus is gone down, he's pulled back up. Man, the heavens are just ripped open. The spirit comes upon him. And, and God is bellowing, This is my son. 
This is my boy. I'm well pleased. I love him. Man, that's my boy. We have a beautiful glimpse here of the Trinity. Now, I know the word Trinity is nowhere in Scripture. In fact, it wouldn't be until 325 in the Council of Nicaea that we even have a word for this called Trinity. But we see here, there's God the Father. There's Jesus the Son, and then there's the Spirit that is descending upon Him. We see the three distinct parts of God together. And what a beautiful picture this is. We are given this picture that Christ coming out of his submersion, which by the way is why we submerse as Baptists, he's coming out of his submersion. Heaven is just torn wide open. The Spirit comes on down and God is with him. But this proclamation helped force, bring recognition to this title. Second thing I need you to realize is that Jesus was the real Christ. You know, as I've already said, after Jesus' death, there was a group of, of, of Johnites that came and, and they tried to declare, no, 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 Jesus wasn't the Messiah. John the Baptist was the, was the Messiah. You have to understand, no, John the Baptist even said, I'm not the one. In fact, I didn't tell this story in first service, but one of my favorite, one of my life verses is John 3.30. He must increase while I must decrease. Because every once in a while, I, I get a little prideful. I do. It happens. We're human beings. It happens. Every once in a while, God has to take a little pin needle and pop my big head that I get. Because he must increase and I must decrease. That's something that I have to live and understand. And that's something that's awesome because in the midst of this, John's disciples are coming in and be like, Hey, John, um, just so you know, there's this guy, Jesus. He's across the river. He's doing the same things you're doing. He's, he's, he's saying the same things you're doing. You need to go stop him. And John is like, you have missed it. He is greater than I. I'm not the one. He must increase. I must decrease. But there's a group that comes and tries to say, but Jesus was the real Christ. It wasn't a trick. It was the real deal. God declares here that Jesus is God's son. And I know the Trinity is so difficult for us to imagine, but can I tell you that what, is, what we think is difficult is that this God the Father spoke creation into existence with a mere utterance of, of, of letters cannot somehow take, form his son inside the womb of a virgin girl and then proclaim to her that she would be the one to bear him, bringing Christ fully human, fully God into creation. E. Best says it this way. He says, the gospel is not a mystery story in which the main character has to be guessed. Scripture gives us the information from the source. God gives us the information from the source. This is my son, who I am well pleased. This is him. But then, gosh, it's not over. We have the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And immediately in verse 12, after uh, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was there with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Man, Scripture tells us he's just led straight into the wilderness. God, he comes out of the water. He probably hadn't even dried off and he's just gone. He's, God sends him into the wilderness. The Bible tells us for 40 days. Matthew 4 gives us a, a, a better uh, illustration of this event. Because Satan comes to him after 40 days. Now listen, I don't know about you. I have never fasted 40 days. You can probably tell by my figure. I have never fasted for 40 days. But I can imagine how hungry Jesus was. 
And so Satan comes to him in Matthew chapter 4, and he says, hey, you're hungry, right? Tell those stones to become bread. Yeah, doesn't that sound good? Where's John? John's over there. John, it's funny how God works this out. This is the exact scripture that they had in Sunday school this morning, so they ruined my sermon for our Sunday school. But John said something interesting. He says, I wish that it would have given more detail. He says, I want to know that those were the Texas Roadhouse rolls and that they were going to be pulled out with that, 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 that cinnamon butter. You know what I'm talking about? That he would have smelled that. But no, the scripture doesn't tell us that. But I can imagine, man, that's probably what Jesus went through his mind. Jesus probably knew about t- Texas Roadhouse cinnamon butter at that time. You know, uh, he was probably hungry. But he says this. Jesus responds. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Jesus gets a little snarky with him. <laughs> Satan thought he had him. He, he tempted Jesus' humanity because Jesus' humanity, he's weak. He is that. So Satan tempts him to, to not trust in God to provide. And that's exactly where Jesus took it. He says, no, no, no. God will provide. He quotes scripture to him. So Satan gets a little craftier. He takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. And he even quotes scripture to him. He says, if you jump off, I'm going to paraphrase, if you jump off, God will send his angels to attend to you that you will not even strike your foot against the side of the temple, against the rock. Well, that sounds pretty good. But Jesus again responds that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so that has to do it with Satan. Satan takes him to the high mountaintops. He shows him everything. He shows him everything. He says, I will give you all of this. Everything that you see, I will give it to you. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. The cross, psh, you can circumnavigate that. Pain, ha, Nothing. Being beaten? Nope. Not going to happen. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. But Jesus declares, be gone. Man, can I tell you, knowing what Jesus had to have known, knowing everything that was about to happen, knowing what what Satan was offering, can I tell you that, brother, I don't know that I could have done that. Knowing what was about to come, knowing the pain, knowing the suffering, knowing everything that was about to happen, I don't know that I could have done that. But here's what we forget. Satan didn't offer anything that Jesus didn't already own. Jesus already owned all of that. Jesus was already orchestrator over all of that. He was God. Satan did not offer Jesus anything that he did not already own. But as we look forward to Christmas, there's one final thing I need us to see. Christ took the punishment so that we could reap his reward. Man, it's because of this trial, it's because of this that leads us to the cross, that leads us to him dying a sinner's death that he didn't deserve, but we sure did. Paul states that this cross was the propitiation of our sins. It was the ink blotter of our sins. It was the eradicator of our sins. It was the blanket, that's a terrible word, of our sins that covered every single part of it. 
But can I tell you that if Jesus had faltered in any one of these, it would have never happened. Satan has not given up on his temptations. Satan still tempts us today. He's still in the, in the, he still plays on our humanity. He's still, are you sure you want to follow a God who doesn't let you go and do what you want to do? Are you sure that you want to follow a God who doesn't let you have any fun? Are you sure that you want to follow a God who does all these things? He will tell you whatever he wants you to do. But worse yet, he still takes you to the pinnacle. He tells you nothing can hurt you. He tells you all of the good things. He still says, if you will bow down to him, everything that you ever want can be yours. Compromising your morals is the fastest way to make it rich. He still tells us over and over again how great it will be. But what Satan never tells you is the after effects of that sin. Listen, an alcohol company will never show you a picture or a video of the hangover after that night of binge drinking. They're never going to show you the after effects when your head's stuck in a toilet vomiting up all the alcohol that was in your system. Why? Because that wouldn't sell alcohol. A cigarette company will never show you the woman on a oxygen dying because she spent her entire life smoking. Satan will never show you the effects of the sins. The companies would lose millions if they did this. It's bad marketing. Satan is in the place of good marketing for sin. He takes you to the pinnacle. He shows you everything. He tells you it's good. He tells you it's great. He shows, he shows you the high. He shows you the benefits. He shows you the feel goods. He shows you the, the things, but he will never show you the after effects. But there is great news. Because of Jesus in this moment, defeated even the temptation, he stood in the gap for our sins. See, the Christmas gift that is offered this year is the fact that this, Christ died for your sins. The cross is the greatest Christmas gift that we could ever have been given. What is born in the manger on Christmas Day ended in the death on Golgotha that ultimately culminated in the salvation of humanity. But you see, it's like this present, right? And maybe you've already got presents under your tree. It's already got your name on it, right? Man, it's already there. You can see it. Maybe, maybe you kind of pick it up. You shake it every once in a while just to kind of see what's in it. Don't lie. You know, I know y'all do it. But it's not yours until you open it, until you know what's in there. It's not yours until you've laid hands on that thing. You know, man, it's, it's that... Uh, the thing that you've been wanting. See, the problem is, is we can be fooled by fake presents, right? We can be fooled by thinking that, well, you know, I don't need the gift of salvation. I, I can earn my way. I can volunteer in the nursery enough hours in my life that will guarantee me a spot in the VIP section of heaven. Or I can work hard enough. I can do all the good things. I can have enough good boy points in my, my sin bank that I will never go to heaven. And that's not the way it happens. Because otherwise, Jesus was not needed. Salvation is by putting our faith and trust 
in Jesus alone. And it's like that gift. We have to unwrap that gift. We have to put our faith in Jesus. But we, like, so often just pick it up, pick Jesus up, shake him a little bit. Man, like, maybe I like this. Maybe I can live with this. Maybe I can, I can do this a little bit. You know, it's kind of, you know, I like the benefits of it. I just don't know about the whole, you know, Jesus thing. Maybe you're here this morning, and that's you. You've never really opened that gift. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus before. You've been to church. You've maybe done the whole church thing your whole life, but you've never actually made that commitment to Jesus to say, you know what, I'm going to make you Lord and Savior. You've never actually said, no, it's not about me anymore, Lord. It's more about you. You've never done that before. Here in just a moment, we're going to have a time invitation, and there's nothing special about this time, but it's an opportunity that we want to respond to how God moves in our service. Man, maybe you're here this morning and that's you. You've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Man, can I tell you this? This, we're talking about Christmas, this baby that's going to be born in a manger. I know sometimes we think of him as just staying the baby, but he didn't. He grew up. He grew up. And I mean, he was a, he was a, he was a carpenter. He's probably jacked. I mean, he grew up. But he lived a sinless life. Satan came after him directly. And still yet, he defeated the temptations. He lived that sinless life. Why? Because while we were in the midst of ourselves, while we were the worst of ourselves, Christ saw and he said, you were worth it. He says that while you were yet sinners, he died for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, what a statement that is because I know how terrible I was. Well, you're a preacher. You don't know nothing. Listen. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I was an atheist. Golly, that's been a long time. I'm not a kid anymore. I still feel like a kid sometimes, but I'm not a kid anymore. Maybe you're here. You've been a Christian for several years. Man, this altar is just calling your name. Maybe it's just because you spent too much time with your family and you've got to pray for that uncle or whatever. This altar will be open. Pastor Aaron and I will be down front. We want to talk to you. Maybe you're here this morning and God's called you to something. Maybe he's called you to ministry. Maybe he said you're going to serve me, whatever that means. You may be a missionary. You may not be. You may just want to be in a uh, help carry the tithe bowls. I don't know. We'll be here. Maybe you're here and you've been looking for a church family. Man, you're excited to join a church. Can I tell you, man, Eubank, we love to have people. But as I say all the time, we're not looking for butts to fill seats. We're looking for people to serve, to impact true culture change in our community, to love, reach, engage, and disciple. That is the mission that we live by. But we would love to have you, and we'd love to get you plugged in. Maybe you're here, and man, you just never, maybe it's baptism. Maybe you've never followed through in baptism. Whatever decision may be had, this time of invitation, don't take it with you. During this Christmas season, man, let's celebrate the real reason for the season. Not to be cliche, but we celebrate hope today. As we celebrate in Advent, we celebrate hope. It is because of that hope that we have eternal life. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to go into our time of invitation, but my prayer is that if God is moving in you, if you just need to come to this altar, if you need to pray, man, we'll be here. We'll lay hands on you. We'll pray with you. We'll leave you alone, whatever you want. If you want to talk, Pastor Aaron and I will be down front, and we'd love to talk to you. Whatever decision God has laid on your heart today, do not take it with you. Man, open that Christmas gift. Unwrap that present. 
Don't leave it under the tree to gather dust. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you, Father, for all that you are. And God, I just pray that, oh, man, during this time of invitation, for those that are here, would you just speak to them? God, would you just be screaming right now? Lord, there's a decision to be made. Give them boldness. God, move their feet. God, let us get out of the way. Whatever it is, God, I just pray that, Father, you would just move in a way only you can. Lord, whatever we do as a church, God, I just pray that it would just drive us to the mission that you have called us to here. And Lord, as we come into our Christmas season, God, as we come into to, to what you are doing, I just pray that, Father, you would, Lord, just make it in a way that it cannot be about me. Lord, it cannot be about you, Bank Baptist. But, Lord, it can be about you. And we point people to you. God, if there's one here that needs to see you today, God, I pray that they see you. God, if there's one here they need to repent, God, I pray they repent. God, if there's one here they need to join the church, God, I pray they join. Lord, if there's one here that needs baptism, God, let them come forward. Whatever decision that you have laid on their heart, Father, let us be bold in receiving today. So, God, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.